This morning we have Dave Allen returning to preach the word for us. So Dave, please come and share God's word. Good morning once again. Um, I'm always impressed with how many sermons have already preceded the sermon. I mean, these kids down here were preaching the sermon. The music was preaching a sermon. And so this is, uh, I guess, the third or fourth sermon you may hear um, this morning. Um, For those of you who don't know, my name is uh, Dave Allum. I was a pastor and a church planter for 20 years. And uh, and God called me into teaching public high school math. And I also did about 20 years of that and 20 years of high school football coaching. And... Which was, uh, was awesome, retired from that about four years ago, and, and uh, moved up into the task of teaching middle school math kids. So that's how I'm going to be um, uh, ending my career of teaching. Um, so now for those of you who are quick with math, um, you're probably adding up some of those numbers already, and you realize that I'm getting up there in years, right? Well, my birthday is in a few, a few days. Um, I'll be celebrating my 63rd birthday, and the kids at school uh, tend to make a big deal about that, especially middle school kids, and I remember on my 50th birthday, one of my uh, middle school kids wrote in a card something very sweet, Mr. Allum, you don't look anything like 50, you look more like a hard 35. (laughs) To this day, I don't know what that meant. But I think it was a compliment. I'm, I'm taking it as a compliment anyway. But uh, so <clears throat> I've celebrated 62 birthdays and 62 Christmases. And I'm sure I've read the Christmas story uh, from the Bible close to a thousand times, maybe even more. And some of you have read the story of the birth of our Messiah maybe 10,000 times. So we're pretty familiar with that wonderful story. And we heard it, uh, portions of it read even this morning. But I got to tell you, I still have a lot of questions about that first Christmas. I wonder about a lot of things. And so the original title of my message this morning was The 25 I Wonders of Christmas. But since I don't want to keep you till Christmas, I'll just give you the top five, okay? Five questions that I have about Christmas. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. Dear Spirit, who is present in every believer, and who is here, resident in this building and in our time together, we ask that you would touch our hearts and certainly open our eyes. Spur us on to love and good deeds because of our connection, our relationship, and encounter with Jesus this morning, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So it was uh, in those days, uh, we read in Luke chapter 2, Back in those days of uh, Israel and Palestine, when the Jews were being oppressed, uh, that our Savior came. And our scripture, our scripture told us that Joseph went up from Nazareth in the north and came all the way down to Bethlehem to the town of David. Um, and he came with a pregnant wife. Imagine that journey. Our scripture goes on, uh, and we read that uh, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes or in cloths and placed him in a food trough or in a manger, 
because there was no room for them in the inn. And the Hager daughter up front here told us about the shepherds and the wonderful experience that they had. That an angel appeared to them, and the angel said, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. We read on in verse 13 of Luke chapter 2. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What an amazing evening. What an incredible night. One of my first questions, one of my first wonders is this. If the first advent of Christ happened today, instead of 2,000 years ago, what would it be like? I wonder. His parents would still be in high school. They'd arrived to town in a beat-up Datsun, not a donkey. <laughs> Every Best Western and Quality Inn would be flashing no vacancy signs. They knew no one. In the last hotel they stop at, the person behind the counter offers them a cot in the garage out back. And surrounded by workbenches and, and snowblowers, the Messiah is born. And the night shift workers out on a smoking break, all of a sudden they see the sky. They tell the managers, and booming voices announcing his birth. And they tell the managers, uh, sorry, we got to go. There's something happening. That's what it must have been like. Can you sense a little more how unusual this entrance was for the king of kings in the tiny little town of Bethlehem? If the origin of his story was human, it never would have been written this way. That's not the way humans would have written the story of the king of kings. But this is God's story, and God's doing it his way, right? How often we think God ought to do things our way, this way, in a manner that's more suitable for the situation, but he has something else completely in mind for us, a different storyline. And I think about Joseph, and he must have thought, really, God? <laughs> this is the way we must go? We can't have the baby at home in Nazareth? We have to go and register in Bethlehem? My wife has to, that the way? Miles, pregnant on a donkey. God, is that the way you're going to make things work and fulfill your promise? Are we even going to make it to Bethlehem before her water breaks? We don't get a room. We don't get a bed. We get a stable and some hay. 
Joseph and Mary learned very quickly that God's way is always best, even if at the time it seems the worst. He's faithful in the midst of difficult, unexpected circumstances. And look at Mary's first response to the news that she would be carrying the Messiah. It would serve her well for the rest of her pregnancy and certainly for this journey that they took on that first Christmas night. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel comforted her with these words, no word from God will ever fail. Even in these difficult circumstances. Mary would be telling us today, God won't fail you. His word, his promise will come true, no matter what the circumstances look like. My second wonder was this. I wonder if Jesus felt cramped in the manger. I wonder if he felt cramped in the manger. This, let, me, let me tell you what I mean. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was placed in a cattle food trough. That's how the Son of God started his human life on earth, swaddled. Now, before we had kids, I didn't pay too much attention. You have to wrap them, you know, that's where they told us how to wrap a newborn. And I hear you have to wrap them, you know, just right and tuck their arms, sort of, it's, keep them tight against their little bodies. So, so when they sleep, they sort of, it's sort of reenacting the womb experience. I pretty much wrapped my babies like I was wrapping an extension cord. It just seemed a lot easier. It was a lot easier to just hang them right there, you know. I actually didn't do that, but I thought about it. But here's Jesus swaddled, wrapped up in a manger, the same one that the prophecies had said of old from ancient times in, in, in Micah. It says this, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler of Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. John 1 tells us that at Christmas, the Word became flesh. We sang, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, right? When John describes Jesus, he calls him the Word, the fullest expression of himself. And he says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in that same chapter, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now listen, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now that we know that about Jesus, do you understand my question a little bit now? When the stars were stirred up in space, Jesus was there. When the formless earth was shaped and planted, Jesus was there. When the breath of life was breathed into the very first human frame, Jesus was there. And, and now he himself is in a human frame, a little bitty mind to a bassinet of hay. Did he feel cramped in that body, in a barn cave on planet earth? 
when he was the one that created the earth. Why would he do this? Why would he do this? Philippians 2 tells us why he would willingly confine himself to our human experience. Philippians 2.6 says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to, something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, swaddled, cramped in a manger. Human nature, he did it. Why did he take on human nature? Why did he become a servant? Well, because of what would happen a few decades later. What happened a few decades later? Fully God and fully human, he died on our behalf. The perfect human substitute so that our wrongness would be atoned for and we get to receive his rightness. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, was it worth being cramped for a few months? Was it worth confining your divinity to humanity for a few decades? How would Jesus answer? Well, Jesus actually did answer that in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's why he came so, that's why he came so humbly. That's why he came so humanly. That's why he came so willingly. Because he loved you, he loved me so much. He gave himself, his body and his flesh for the forgiveness of your sins. So you could live beyond death. That's what John 3.16 says. It says you could live eternally. So was it worth it, Jesus being cramped, creator of the, the world being cramped into, in a cave? Yes, it was, because he loved you. And he loves me. I love the shepherds in the story of Christmas. Uh, I have a lot of questions about those shepherds. And I came to wonder this, this third wonder. I wonder if the shepherds did a double take when the angel said to them, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior for shepherds? These men and women worked outside, ate outside, slept outside. They moved around to find pasture to, and, and, and water. Some may have had their own sheep, but most likely they were hired to take care of other people's assets. They weren't wealthy. They didn't move in popular circles. But the angel said the Savior was born to them. Today in the town of David, a Savior's been born to you. A Savior's been born to you guys, to you ladies, out here in the field with the smelly sheep. And so for them standing alongside their fear of this lightning bright figure was the astonishment that the Messiah came for them. You'd expect God's son would arrive for the religious people. You know, the ones who went to synagogue every week. Problems and be, you'd expect God's son to come and, and solve big problems and be involved in, in, in world peace, which by the way, he is someday, but not on his first advent. But the angel said to the shepherds, 
He's here for you. You sleep with the sheep marginal people. He came for you. God didn't ignore them. He saw the shepherds that came right up close and personal to them with this incredible, wonderful, life-changing announcement. See, God sees the marginalized, the unpopular, the ones scraping to get by, the non-religious. God sees you, religious or not, attender or not, believer or not. He arrived for you. That's what the shepherds were telling everybody later that evening. He's here for you. A Savior's been born for you. The shepherds would tell you it's true. For you, but also for you individually. Heaven's brightest came to meet and speak with the earth's lowest. And that means there's love and there's hope. There's eternal life for everybody in between. My third wonder. Now my fourth wonder, before I get to my fourth wonder, you've been going around this week, I've been going around for a couple weeks Wishing people a a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays. But I know someone who thinks that the birth of Christ was anything but merry or happy. And so my fourth wonder is this. I wonder what Satan was thinking on the night of Christmas. I'm sorry you're getting a little input into a visual of where my brain goes. But um, I wonder what Satan was thinking. Years ago, when he deceived our first parents in the Garden of Eden, God pronounced something on him. In Genesis chapter 3, he says, the one who is coming will crush your head, although you'll strike his heel, he'll crush your head. So when the angels announced Christ's birth, you know what else they were announcing? Satan's head crusher. A few months after Christmas, Our enemy inflamed King Herod with fear and anger. Herod was the one who ordered all the boys, two years old and younger, to be killed in his jurisdiction, which included Bethlehem, because he had heard of this child king and he wanted no competitors to the throne. It was in the desert that Satan tempted Jesus to take shortcuts and tempted him to doubt his father. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane that he tried to get him to give up on his mission. But Jesus stayed true to his father. He he stayed true to his mission. He stayed true to you, and he died on the cross. But he died not because he lost a battle with Satan. He died in order to win. He destroyed Satan's best weapon, death. We read, God made you alive with Christ. When you're with Christ, you are alive. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Not by the empty tomb, but he triumphed over them by the cross because he took away our enemy's greatest weapon, 
death. Satan wasn't merry. Satan wasn't happy. I imagine he was furious because his head crusher was born. And he's still furious, we know, because of his work in the world today. But we also know because of Jesus, he's finished. He's finished. So in that quiet, still moment in the manger scene lies the one who brings a massive, universal, personal, forever victory. Satan wasn't happy. But Jesus brings incredible victory. Finally, my my fifth wonder, the fifth question is this. I wonder if the angels were disappointed the night after Christ's birth. After their hillside concert with the shepherds, you know, they went back through heaven's door. What an amazing night. What an amazing night that was. First one angel speaks while thousands of others were on cue, kind of backstage waiting to flood it through heaven's portal because it says that there was one angel speaking to the, the shepherds, right? And then all of a sudden there were all these other angels. The cue was given, the sky was on fire with this heavenly angelic light and all these joyful sounds. This ethereal expression of happiness for this moment And God's loving plan for humanity. And just like that, the darkness closed in as they went back to heaven. And it was a very silent night once again. And here were these breathless shepherds with ringing in their ears. Why wouldn't the Father schedule repeat performances every night? After all, this is the birth of the Son of God. Do angels think this way? I'm not sure. But I do know the Apostle Peter tells us that the angels don't know everything the Father is doing, but they do wonder. Because we read in 1 Peter 1, it was revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Look at this. Even angels long to look into these things. So angels long, they wonder, they try to understand and comprehend the magnitude and the wonder of the good news. So why not more nightly celebrations? This is an amazing event. Well, Jesus' purpose on his first advent was to be the humble servant, the loving healer, Not a political revolutionary. Not a conquering political king. Not on his first advent. To save humanity, he not power, not recognition, not power, not position. He's after our hearts. And we know the angels, though, are are still celebrating, just not nightly in the skies over Bethlehem. (laughs) They celebrate daily. Do you know that? This is what I mean. You know, Jesus tells a story about the lost and found. He tells about a shepherd who finds a lost lamb, a widow who finds a lost coin, and a father who welcomes back a lost son. And in each case, there's an invitation to celebrate for what was lost is now found. 
And we read this truth in Luke 15.10. Jesus said in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Yes, that was an amazing angelic concert on Christmas night. And there'll be more concerts in the future. Read the book of Revelation. But there are daily concerts among the angels. Every time one person turns around from going their own way, trying to find peace their own way, trying to erase their shame their own way, and that person turns around and says, God, I'm done. I'm I'm lost. Rescue me. Find me. And when that happens, there's a concert in heaven. The angels are performing. They're glorifying God. And I need to stop and ask to those who are here, those here online. I mean, if that's you today, you've been working real hard at trying to find peace your way. Finding, finding, uh, trying to find a way to erase the shame or erase the frustration your way. It's time to turn to God's way. And that way is following Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And if that's you this morning, I'm telling you, there's a concert scheduled for you today. If you turn and you are found by Jesus. The angels still sing, and they'll sing for you when you turn and you let Jesus find you and let him lead you in the way of his peace. So in closing, the next time that you say Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, try to remember why it's merry, why there is such joy. The reason it is merry and joyful is because God came near. The word became flesh. And so this season let us stand in existence. Wonder that Jesus, the one who spoke into existence, the creation, chose to do that. Willingly in a cradle. And he chose to do that. In order that you and I could experience a new birth. A new life. A new purpose through his death and his resurrection. And my prayer for you uh, this morning is that you'll know, like Mary, that his word never fails. He's faithful to his word no matter what crazy situation you're in right now. And like the shepherds, he loves you, specifically you. He came for you, and the good news is for you, no matter what your background no matter what your mistakes. I also pray that you will find that your greatest enemy is already defeated, that Christmas is not merry for him, and so that means all other enemies are defeated as well. And the angels do still sing. They sing every day for those who need Christ. And you may encounter someone, you will encounter someone this Christmas season who needs to be found. Will you be listening? Will you be ready to share? Let's pray. Father, what a great God you are. You loved us so much you sent your son. 
And for, for many here who have heard like I have heard the Christmas story many times, Lord, make it real again. Bring us back to that manger scene where the, the, the creator is in a cradle. And he did it for us. I pray for peace, Mary's kind of peace for those who are in difficult situations and who have held on to your promise, but it doesn't look like it's happening. On the outside, then Mary's peace. And for those who feel on the outside, would you give them the love that the shepherds received because the Savior was born to even them? And Lord, for those who are experiencing the battle of the enemy, in whatever shape, form, or size that battle appears, tell them today that his head was crushed on Christmas morn and that they have, they have all the power of our Savior and every enemy has been defeated and help them to move on in the power of the Spirit. And Lord, for those who may be sitting here or may be hearing this message who are saying, I need to be found I am lost, Lord, in their lips so that they can say, Jesus, find me now. And Lord, we will rejoice with the heavens and the angels in heaven who will rejoice at their being found in Jesus. We love you. We are grateful for the season. And we worship you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.